0: Welcome to Coffee and Change, I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a US veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Emily Falvey is a Nashville-based singer-songwriter. She's an alumna of Belmont University's Curb College, graduated in 2018 with a BA in songwriting and a BBA in music business. Falvey signed an exclusive worldwide publishing agreement with Shane McAnally's publishing company smack songs in april 2018 the single she penned for big loud artist mackenzie porter seeing other people recently reached number one on the canadian country airplay chart valvey has other recent and upcoming releases with artists such as walker hayes carly pierce i love carly pierce T- uh, tiara josh kerr jake scott and more she's a member of the aimp songwriter series class of 2019 was voted favorite songwriter by young entertainment professionals and was named to the inaugural national briefing 30 under 30 list. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining Emily.
1: Thanks so much, Bill.
0: I really appreciate it. So the other thing I'm going to jump in and and look at is I was looking at the events on your Spotify page and I have to ask and take a breath because you're living my teenage dream. Are you singing (laughs) at the Bluebird tonight?
1: Uh, Yes, it's tonight, which is crazy.
0: Oh my god! I'm so excited for you. Let me just let me just tell you that um, I am. uh well, first of all, I'm a huge country music fan, oh, uh, like longtime country music fan. And I'll tell you a little story briefly about me and my family um, and our first trip to Nashville. So I was um, in high school. This was maybe 1993, 94, mm-hmm. and I'm one of six kids. And my dad, we were actually living in. Russia at the time, Moscow, Russia. Wow. Right. Pretty crazy. And I'd never heard, to my knowledge, I'd never heard of note of country music. Now, what's really interesting about that, you see there's a poster behind me that says Texas, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We lived in Texas for seven years. Um, and I, ironically, I'd never heard of note of country music. And it's probably because my dad's originally from Chicago. My mom's, you know, born in Brooklyn. They both grew up in California. Well, it's fast forward to I'm living in Russia. And... I remember at the time there was this girl I had a huge crush on, and I just wanted to have, you know, I just wanted to be at the dance with her. So I finally got her to say yes to dance with me. It's high school dance, right? Typical thing. Yep. And I'm all excited because I finally got her to say yes. And the song they were playing at the time was Somewhere Other Than The Night by Garth Brooks. Wow. And I, as soon as that came on and I heard that, that music and that voice, I didn't think about anything else. I, I didn't intend to, but I dropped the girl in my arms and I said, I need to know everything about what is coming out of this boombox right now. Wow. And there was somebody came to me and said, That's Garth Brooks. You've never heard of Garth Brooks? I said, I, What's a Garth Brooks? I don't know. <laughs> so a couple years later, my family is just a huge fan of country music because we've consumed, you know, Garth was huge in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And my dad said, Hey, if you guys all do really well in your, your grades in school, I'll take you anywhere you want in the world. We'll do a round-the-world trip, right? And we're like, oh, this is going to be great. And so originally we said, oh, we want to go to some place like Hawaii or whatever. And it turned out that was really hard to do from Russia. Like, you, you can't, you're not going like Moscow to Honolulu. So he's like, well, that's not really going to work out. Where's a second place you'd like to go to? And all of us said Nashville. And he said, Nashville? Why Nashville? And we said, because we love country music and we want to go there and we want to see where these artists sing and write. And we stayed at the Opryland Hotel. We had an amazing time. We saw Tracy Bird. We saw, um, I think we saw Tanya Tucker. I mean, this was a while back. And and I wanted so desperately to go to the Bluebird. Um, And I've never been to the Bluebird. And I was just looking at your thing and I'm like, she's singing at the Bluebird tonight.
1: You have to come back. I I hate to say this. I've played it enough times now that it's almost just kind of like another day at the office, which yeah. is I have such a reverence for it always when I'm there. It's just so sacred. Um, but I, I'm grateful for the reminder of just how special it is because, you know, I play so many writers rounds that it's easy to forget how special it is.
0: Absolutely. So. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you. So I will be sending you all sorts of, you know, good vibes uh, tonight for that. Thank you. You know, I discovered you on another podcast, John Baldoni's podcast. And it was this amazing and beautiful conversation that I loved because you had it from a place of such genuine vulnerability. And one of the things that you were talking about, and I'm so honored that you're joining this show to talk about sort of the stories of songwriters and journeys of songwriters. And recently I had... Uh, a fellow artist, you may know him, Kanan Cox. Um, yes. Yeah. So I had Kanan Cox on the show a couple weeks ago. Uh, I met Kanan on the back of a cruise ship years ago, and we struck up a friendship. And I've watched him in his whole career as an independent artist. And it's such an honor to support him and champion him. And, you know, I started thinking along the lines I want to have more independent artists and singers and songwriters because these are the people that, no kidding, you're my therapy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just call it what it sure. is. Um, yeah, and they have been since I was a kid. You know, I I was the type to go through the liner notes and and find out who's writing that. Right, if I love that song mm-hmm. by Trisha or I love that song by Faith Hill, I want to know who the songwriter was. And I would actually follow the the songwriters' paths. Yes, and it, and it was really interesting because you know back in the day it was kind of tough to do that. Now you can you can do it pretty well. So. I'd love for you to share a little bit about kind of your own journey and and some of the stuff that really touched me when you were talking with John was, were there stats? Specifically, there was a stat you shared around, it's easier technically to get drafted into the NFL than it is to to become a big, you know, um,
1: assigned kind of, Nashville songwriter. So you. to get a published <laughs> deal. Yep. Yeah.
0: So tell us it's about crazy. that.
1: Yes. Well, it's funny you mentioned Kanan. I actually wrote a song with him and Walker Hayes that he put out recently. It's called Break It. So yes. that is a funny intersection of things. So anyway, I just had to make that Amazing. side note before we got going. Um, but I'm trying to think. I have had a really blessed journey. So far, it's been a really special thing. I moved here to Nashville in 2014 to go to a school called Belmont University. Um, It was my lifelong goal to get into the songwriting program. And I fortunately did. Um, And then I got to school and saw how talented everybody was and declared a double major in music business because I'm super type A and love to have a backup plan. So I have a business degree to fall back on if this songwriting thing goes belly up, which I'm grateful for. Um, But I did a ton of internships in the music industry. I worked at a company called Warner Chapel for a year. I worked at the Grammys. I did all these really awesome things. And I ended up interning at a company called Smack Songs my senior year. And so I ended up connecting with Shane McAnally and the publishing team over there, Robin Palmer and Lee Crable at the time. Um, And we ended up kind of just developing this partnership. And they hired me on as a songwriting intern at first and then signed me to a publishing deal in my senior year of college. And then I've been writing professionally for the five years since. So it's been a really crazy journey for me specifically. And the journey of a national songwriter is a wild one, mm-hmm. um, but I'm really grateful to be on this journey.
0: Just like the Faith Hill song, a wild one. Yes, it's <laughs> um, so true. Yeah, so so I'd love to be, I mean, first of all, you inspire me already. Like when you said songwriting intern, I'm like, can, can I apply to be a songwriting intern <laughs> at like 45 years old? Because- I, That's <laughs> awesome though. <Bill. laughs> I, oh, I love, love it,
1: yes. That. That's wonderful.
0: Um, because one of the things i find so you know heroic frankly about the work that you all do and i recently connected with another independent artist um, just about a week or so ago and his episode's going to be coming out here soon he's uh, part of a duo group called the light meeting okay. and um, one of the one of the artists plays guitar mostly he's a brilliant guitar player the other's a cellist brilliant cellist what? and um, and it was really interesting in our conversations as he was describing his upbringing and his life and the things he listened to and what his mom listened to and his dad listened to and all the influences. Uh, I realized that he surmised what I've been tr- the words I've been trying to find since I was about 14. Right. And that is, I see the world through a songwriter's eyes.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: And when that came to me during that, re- that episode we were recording, I felt like I had found my mantra. Wow. And that's so cool. And it's and it's so for part of this to to me, part of this is right. This is a platform. I get to connect with people, echo their stories and share their stories. But it's also a way for me to repay the people that have literally healed me and helped me and and in my journey, you know, people I may (laughs) never meet. So it's an honor to, like, get to say to folks like you, thank you. Right. Thank you for for taking the courage right 20 seconds of courage and, and following mm-hmm. your heart and your passion it inspires for people sure. like us to keep going um,
1: that's kind thank you for saying that
0: yeah what was it like when you were growing up what were you listening to what were your influences like what were your parents playing what were your friends playing
1: absolutely i had kind of a transient upbringing we moved a lot um, i lived in katy texas for my high school years so I, Katie, I don't know yes. where <laughs> from. But I was born in Florida. Then we moved to Colorado. Then we moved to Texas. And then my parents moved when I was in college to Raleigh, North Carolina. So I feel like I got a big picture of the United States. And I always kind of was having to be the new kid and make new friends. And so music was a constant for me in the middle of all of the transition in my life. Um, I always was at church, leading worship and doing all this kind of stuff. My dad's a drummer. He was always playing uh, in worship teams and things. And so he was kind of the main, you know, musical person in our family. He showed me the Beach Boys and Carol King and all of these things that really became formative to who I am today musically. Um, Taylor Swift also was really starting to kind of break when I was young. And so I saw all these. I think there was the show on Nickelodeon called The Naked Brothers Band, and there were just like all of these songwriters on my TV. And I was really terrible at sports. So my parents put me in piano lessons really early on to just kind of stick to something. Um, and so I saw all these people writing songs on my TV. And I thought to myself, I can sit down at my piano and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing pretty early on. But I'd say if it weren't for Taylor Swift, I probably wouldn't be in Nashville. And I think a lot of people my age would say the same thing. So I'm really grateful for her and her, you know, she blazed a trail for young women. And so I'm really just inspired by her and I get to see her in concert after all of the ticket master craziness on Cinco de Mayo and I will be living my best life that day.
0: Well, you so. can do that for me and everyone else that uh, <laughs> tried to get tickets, but um, it's tough. yeah, I mean, her journey has been incredible and, you know, it's interesting. Cause like, I think when I think of certain artists and there's a lot in my sort of um, very eclectic taste, but certain mm-hmm. artists you can, almost remember they carried you through chapters, right? So you think of their albums as chapters that are synonymous to the what you're going through in life. Absolutely. And I think she does that brilliantly because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you're a kid from Katy, Texas mm-hmm. or you know somebody in their 40s in uh, Cologne, Germany or somebody in Iceland. There are people who are relating to the things that she's talking about um, in such a beautiful way. And I think it's because she writes from a place of, vulnerability. Um, And I I would almost say it's it's displaced heartbreak. And what I mean by that is she's not trying to shut that down. Like she's not trying to say there shouldn't be heartbreak and I don't want to feel this. But it's kind of like, hey, I put it here for a day. Hmm, It doesn't belong there. I put it here for a day. It doesn't belong there. And then you you sort of dance and walk and carry it with you, put it in your bag. Right. And then all of a sudden you're like, actually, the song is in all the things I learned while carrying around that heartbreak,
1: not about the heartbreak
0: itself. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I think many songwriters are deep feelers and we have a lot of emotion. Um, And she did such a beautiful job of validating that there's a way to channel that emotion into something good. You know, I think that there were many times I felt like an alien with how many feelings I had growing up, but um, she made it really feel validating. And so I'm really grateful for it.
0: Yeah. I'd also love to, to um, kind of zero in on the other piece you talked about. You also took sort of the business of music, right? The study yes. of that aspect. Yes. And, and to me, that seems so important, right? Because as a songwriter, as a dreamer, let me just say that as a dreamer, right, a visionary and a dreamer, we can follow that to the nth degree, but then at some point you're in contracts and you're in negotiations and you got to deal with metrics and, and uh, signings and deals and all of that. I'm imagining that was really helpful for you um, Mm -hmm. going into that, having that, having that degree. What is that degree like? Like what do they study? I mean, is is it like an MBA for music?
1: Kind of. We have an MBA for music at, Belmont, or at least for business. Um, But I basically did all the business core that you do for a business degree at undergrad. So, finance and accounting and all that kind of stuff. But we also did contract law and copyright law and all of the kind of implications of intellectual property. There were definitely, you know, it almost felt a little bit like law school and a little bit like business school. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad to have that. I actually just finished. um, I'm going after this to go and sign a new publishing deal. I'm going to go sign on the dotted line. And I've just been through that whole negotiation again for the second time. And it's really kind of a wild journey to put that knowledge that I've, you know, you learn stuff in college and then you live it out and it's a whole different thing. And so I'm really grateful for what I learned at Belmont, but also to have that on the job experience now, because I think that out in the real world, it can be kind of much crazier than it is on paper in your finance class. So it's kind of a wild ride.
0: Yeah, well, congratulations on the new publishing deal. That is huge. You've got a <laughs> packed day. You're doing podcasts, publishing deals, playing with the Bluebird. Emily, I want to hang out with you.
1: <laughs> I know. It's kind of, I looked at my calendar. I look at my calendar many days and it's like, oh man, why did I commit to so many things? But it's all joy and it's all good at this stage, which is, you know, good problems, I think.
0: Yeah, I was on a d- discussion yesterday with a colleague and and I said to them, you know, because it's, it's kind of tough times right now in the industry that I'm in in tech, right? Yes. And um, I said to them, hope, hope in action is joy. Yes. And that's they good. said, that's so good. And I said, so just don't give up on your hope, put it towards action, and then joy will joy, you'll find joy it will be there. Um, mm-hmm. So I love how you say that, right? Your calendar is about chasing joy. Um, yes, every for day. Sure. What's the Absolutely. what's the publishing contract and experience? I, I mean, again, I'm going to be a, a bit, uh, Nerd out, geeky here, right? Because yes. as a fan, is it with like an ASCAP or a BMI? Is that how like the songwriter publishing deals go?
1: So I'm affiliated with one of those. Those so ASCAP and BMI, they're called performing rights organizations, and they're really important. So they help advocate for us to get compensated. So they're the ones who disseminate all the royalties. Mm-hmm. So when I have a song that you know, Walker Hayes last week just put out a song that I wrote, they are the ones who are registering with with the copyright office and with their own system. So every time it gets played on the radio or on an airplane or in a restaurant, they're the ones tabulating that I should be paid for that. So I'm a BMI affiliate and I'm really grateful for them. They've been really great champions of mine. Leslie Roberts in that office is the queen of song and songwriters in Nashville. Um, they have a festival every year in Key West, Florida. That mm-hmm. really is a fun opportunity. If you ever want to go and just be a fan of songwriters, that's a year yearly opportunity. Yeah. Um, and then, so a publishing deal is kind of, so there's record labels, which are where artists sign to you know, go and get on the radio and put out their albums and things. Songwriters like me sign with a publishing company for them to go and pitch songs to those labels and to people. So the companies that I'm gonna be affiliated with starting on today um, are Smack. So I'm staying with my current company and I'm actually adding a partnership with Warner Chapel. So it's a company where I worked um, when I was in college So it's pretty full circle because now both of the companies that I interned at are going to be my publishers. Um, And so my, I have some ownership moving forward and I get to have my own catalog and it's going to be called the little intern that could like the little engine that could. Yes. Um, Because I'm very short in stature and I also just kind of have this belief, you know, there were a lot of times when I didn't think I could do it. And so now I get to remind myself that yes, in fact, I can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, so the publishers kind of work day in and day out to make sure they book my co-writes. So they're the ones who kind of have ownership over when I'm writing and who I'm writing with. And they are the ones who, when I turn in songs, they're pitching them around, sending it to a label and saying, we think this would be great for Cole Swindell, or we think this would be great for Lady A. Um, and I also just kind of am fortunate to be affiliated with them because it kind of, elevates your reputation, you know, to have a publishing deal and to be a professional songwriter. And it helps, you know, pay the bills and do all that kind of stuff. So Absolutely. it's great.
0: So you had said something in there that I want to um, make sure I understand when you said like the little intern that could, like you called that a... Uh, so it's
1: it's called like a catalog. So it's my co-publishing. You have to name when you are a publisher of your own music, which I'm going to be moving forward. Um, and so that's really fun.
0: Okay. So it's called a catalog. So that is essentially kind of not to simplify it, but essentially it's like your portfolio and a um, kind of a framing of all the stuff that you create. And then people come to your catalog to say, hey, we'd like to sample this song or use this song or whatnot. Is that kind of how it works?
1: Exactly. So it's kind of the aggregation of intellectual property. So yeah. just in the way that you invest in a real estate portfolio, I'm currently spending all my time pouring into this catalog. And I think kind of how the industry's moving is that these catalogs sell. And publishing companies sell their catalogs and it's kind of, you know, you're building this asset ultimately to sell it, which some there's different schools of thought about it. Um, But I think a lot of my hit writer friends, you know, when they see the opportunity to have millions of dollars up front, um, they're willing to surrender their rights and, you know, sell it to JP Morgan or whoever the buyer is. Um, And so it's kind of just I'm investing in myself with the hope that there will be a return on that investment someday.
0: And you had mentioned the buyers of it. It, I I didn't realize, could it be literally like uh, portfolio companies and like equity companies that buy these and then they hold on to them in hopes that they gain value? I mean, because I imagine there's not JP Morgan people that are sitting on staff saying, this is an incredible song, or maybe they are.
1: I think that there are people who see the potential for tax write-offs, Um, Um, I think there's also, you know, my boss, Shane McAnally has sold his to big investment companies like Tempo Investments. Um, There's catalog companies all over the world that kind of their whole job is to kind of just build up intellectual property and hope. I think they hope that it'll, you know, ultimately be a stable investment. And so it's a pretty smart way to do business if you have the capital to invest. Um, For us songwriters, we're just trying to do it for the love of the game and then, Hope that one day we have a song that changes our whole lives and then sets us up for retirement. So that's kind of what I'm banking on currently.
0: And I think I heard you say to John on a previous, you know, on on his episode, did I hear right? You have like over 500 songs.
1: Oh, it's like, I think I probably write 250 a year. So I probably am up to, I haven't counted the exact number. So it's probably over a thousand at this stage, which is wild to think about. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. How do you, I mean, when you say that, like a thousand songs, I immediately think back to the days of like the big case logic with all the CDs in it, right? And I'd flip mm-hmm. through and be like, Oh, which one do I want? Yes. In this, in this world, right? Is it, is it a mix for you of like, Hey, I have my physical experience of my songs and then there's my digital. What's the balance between I've got, you know, and so I love the videos where I see people like Taylor Swift or Haley Williams or others just grab their phone, sing into the thing, make notes on their phone. What's that Mm -hmm. balance like for you? Digital, physical? Because I think so much of this is emotional. It's tactile.
1: Mm -hmm, For sure. I know some people who write on pen and paper still just for the sake of feeling in touch with the tactile piece of it. Mm -hmm. I'd say my experience at this stage is pretty digital. I have all my songs cataloged in my Apple music library. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I am able my voice memos app on my iPhone is a disaster. I'm always like, there's a really long delay. Um, whenever I try, I have like 4,000 voice memos. And so it takes like 30 seconds for my voice memo app to be ready to record. (laughs) But, um, I think for me, it's a pretty digital experience. I bring my laptop and write in my Microsoft Mm -hmm. word when I'm typing lyrics and, um, everything's so streamlined now technologically. I'm always writing with a producer who's dialing up the track on his or her computer. Um, and so it's just kind of like a very techy experience, but then there's also this resurgence of analog equipment and, you know, vinyls having a huge moment right, right. now. So I love, I would also scroll through liner notes and just live to see this little CD booklets whenever I was a kid. So I completely get that. And I think- I really admire the creators who use their Instagram to still do credits for, yeah. you know, for the people, the personnel that are involved with songs. Um, I think that's really important to credit creators. I'm grateful to Spotify for that. They have a really great credit system. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I think there's ways to still kind of keep that liner note experience, even in a digital age that we're living in.
0: I totally agree. And, and you probably could tell even from like, you know, we had talked about like, I love to do the episode artwork for each, yeah. each guest, right? And, and part of the reason I do that is because I was so inspired by the the album covers and the liner notes and, you know, um, finding out like, hey, this is Capitol Records versus Warner Records versus MCA Nashville. Right. Versus, uh, you know, even some of the stuff like when Madonna started the album and Alanis Morissette was the first you know artist that she signed a Maverick. Um, and I remember. Jumping between those like I I would just go on these binges where I'd be like I need to find every maverick artist or I need to find every and And what was really interesting about it. It's almost like It's almost like some of us were doing what we now experience with digital, which is we jump from one thing to the next But we were doing it in a very analog world, right? We were kind Mm -hmm. of like chasing the songwriter chasing the producer chasing the record label, because we knew that like, hey, if they invest in this sound, which makes me feel this way, that means they're gonna have other people in their catalog. Um, So I love I love that, that that's still there for you a little bit, like it's in a Mm -hmm. digital world, but it's still that experience for you.
1: Absolutely. It's really special.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, like when you were talking about different people who you'd love to do work for or work with. So some of the names like, like some of the people I can't, take off repeat like Tyler Braden I'm obsessed yeah. with Tyler Braden like <laughs> He's cool
1: I haven't had the opportunity to work with him but I feel like his reputation is nothing but the best I only ever hear the coolest things about him
0: Yeah he's I mean his story I remember I was standing here in this in my office and I just had like Vivo Country on in the background right and I was working yeah. doing the thing And you know those moments where you're like you're kind of it's kind of in the background And like something comes on and it stops you in your tracks. And like whatever you're working on, all of a sudden, all the words on the screen don't make any sense to you. You're like, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what I'm doing. And I turned and -hmm. the song that was playing was um, Try Losing One by Tyler Brayden. And Mm -hmm. I just like the world stopped. I got every shiver, every hair on the back of my neck stood up. And I said, this is something special. Yeah. And then I went on my pursuit, right? I found everything yep. I could. Um, and his background being a firefighter. And I was like, okay. And, um, and when I describe him to people now, it's interesting, because, you know, we, we hear different qualities of people's voices. And people say, well, who's this Tyler And I said, Okay, well, imagine Luke Combs, mm-hmm. Lewis Capaldi, and Dermot Kennedy all had a baby.
1: <laughs> yep. Pretty and solid. Like,
0: and they're like, really? And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I said, go listen, and then come back to me. And they're like, dude, you were spot on. <laughs> yeah, so, that's so cool. I is there, love that. Is there someone like you would love to work with? Like when you think about, hey, or do you not think that way? Do you write your stuff and then it sort of evolves? Do you write with people in mind?
1: I definitely have people that I would love to ultimately be in the room with one day. I've been really fortunate at this stage of my career as far as songwriters are concerned. I've worked with a lot of really extraordinary ones that I've looked up to. Um, So now it's just a matter of, you know, the artists that I wish would record my songs. Um, I dream of Cole Swindell recording a song of mine. um, Dave Haywood from Lady A mentored me in college through a Grammy U program. And so I'd love to work with him at some point because I just love their music and grew up on it. Um, There's all sorts of, you know, the Kelsey Ballerinis and the Marin Morrises that I think are so extraordinary. Um, But at this stage of my career, I find that there's magic in just writing a song for the sake of writing a song. And Mm -hmm. usually my songs just kind of find their way to the right artist. Sometimes I'm in the room with an artist and I'm able to help articulate their story. But I think there's something really special about the outside song. I might have mentioned this with John, but I think it's even more flattering when an artist isn't in the room and they hear something in the story that they're not a part of. And I've been very fortunate. Some of my biggest songs up until this point are songs that the artist wasn't in the room for. um, And they just were willing to give life to that story. And I think that's what will keep songwriters in business is Artists taking chances on songs that songwriters write. So I think the the outside song is an art that I never want to lose.
0: Yeah, I love that, and it reminds me very much of even this ecosystem with podcasting, right? Because if you think about it, <clears throat> there's so many podcasters supporting pod- podcasters. Right? We believe in the art that people are creating. We believe in the impact that it's had. I mean, part of the reason I started this seven years ago was because. This ecosystem has nourished me since two thousand five. Right when there yeah. was like the first podcast I was listening to, I was actually in the army at the time, and wow. I would I was in um, Augusta, Georgia, and you know I would be in training, and I would come home, and I would look forward to listening to whatever podcast there were. And to be honest, at the time there were like three total in the mm-hmm. entire universe, and I would listen to every episode, and and it felt like it it felt like radio on demand. And I grew yeah. up listening to the radio, and I was one of those kids who would run across the room to hit record while the radio was playing so you could get your song. And um, and then I would mix tapes. And then obviously I burned CDs and I used to make mix CDs. So you know, my, my dreams as a kid was to be a DJ and also to be a songwriter. And so what I found is like in this platform the podcasting, you're kind of a DJ, right? You're a yeah. DJ of people's stories. For sure. Um, and it reminds me the power of continuing to see the world through a songwriter's eyes right yeah songs don't always have the same music sometimes they're poetry and to your point right the outside in song somebody sees the words or somebody feels the poetry it moves them in a way and they say i want that Mm -hmm. um what's it like for you to watch shows like i just started i don't know if you've seen it but i'm loving it my kind of country? Have you seen this one on Apple TV?
1: I haven't and I'm dying to. I actually have a friend um, from college who works at Hello Sunshine Mm -hmm. and we talked all about it as it was in progress. And I just think the world of what they're doing. I'm the biggest Reese Witherspoon fan and I'm the biggest Casey Musgraves fan. So I need to, I've been so busy. I haven't been in my TV season. I go through seasons where I'm really able to binge a lot. And then Mm -hmm. I have times where I'm not watching any TV at all. And I'm in one of those, but between that and Daisy Jones and The Six, I feel like I have a lot to binge lately.
0: <laughs> well, the word I would leave you with is cherish. So when you do watch that My Kind of Country, just cherish every moment. I've, I've had one episode that I've gotten into and I've intentionally slow rolled it yeah. because the amount of nourishment and, and hope and and especially as you as a singer songwriter, you'll you'll see stuff that I don't and most of us mm-hmm. don't. But I got emotional like three times and I needed that. Like I needed that release. And the beauty yeah. with which Reese and Casey and Jimmy Allen and, you know, like the in Mickey Guyton. I mean, you know, there were so many moments where I was I felt like I was sitting on a bar stool next to them. And like to be able to to take the distance between yourself and an artist through a TV, a TV medium is really unique. Right. Typically, you only get that maybe from the stage, as you know, mm-hmm. right. Making that connection. They did an incredible job with this show. So I can't wait yeah. for you to watch it. You will cherish it. I haven't started Daisy Jones in the Six. I need to watch that one next. Um, but I was curious when you when you do watch things like that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is it or even the show Nashville? I loved the show Nashville.
1: Yes, it's <laughs> is good.
0: It, is it hard for you to watch those things because you know it's not exactly portrayed that way or like that way, or or some of, are most of them getting it right?
1: Gosh. I think a really good example, um, my boss Shane was on a show called Songland. Are you familiar? I am. Yeah. I feel like it was a really awesome show devoted specifically to songwriters and kind of that process of creating for an artist specifically. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of hit the nail on the head of what the process is like. You know, I think, of course, they're always making everything look super glamorous for TV and it's not always like that. Um, But I think for a show like Nashville, obviously there's over-dramatization of everything because they're also in a scripted format. Um, But I think most reality show, you know, song competition type things are pretty, pretty on it as far as, you know, it's a collaborative effort. There's a lot of, you know, in the Songland scenario, there were three or four songs being pitched to one artist, and then there was only one that was chosen. You know, it feels like statistically we're swinging our bat, hoping that we'll get a hit. And it feels like, you know, it takes a while for that to happen sometimes. Um, So I don't know. I think I'm just grateful to people who are willing to give visibility to songwriters because I think so many people in the world don't even know that we exist. So any show that kind of portrays them and gives life to them, I'm just glad that they exist.
0: Yeah, it's in, yeah. it's so interesting you say that because it reminds me a little bit of the, obviously the work I do and leading other people through change and teams through change and leaders through change. Yeah, I often remind people sometimes when it's going well, you almost don't know we exist. Yeah, and I think yep. it's I think it's similar with songwriters in the sense of like when you know when when somebody's sitting there and they're like I love this song and they're singing along with it, it's doing all its work. Um, you're not necessarily starting thinking about. The songwriter, you think about the artist, you're thinking about sort of the vehicle that is delivering it. But I've always felt called to like the story within the story, right? What sure. what's the liner notes between the notes? And I think that's why I got called to do this work, right? Guide people through change, but take a very backstage um approach to it, right? Like, you know, I don't want to be the the sage on the stage, I wanna be the guide on the side is kind of like, you know, and, and well, producer like. I mean, to get to to get to that world where you're kind of producing um, from the side to bring out this gift in someone would mm-hmm. be like, I mean, that's, that's about as good as it gets. Right. I think. Um, cool. So I appreciate you, you kind of sharing that um, one last question for you before I kind of wrap up and give you a little bit of time back. Cause I know you got a busy day. Um, if you could talk to your younger self, your younger yeah. Emily from where you're yes. at now, and have a conversation with her. Mm-hmm. What would you say to her, based on where you're at now, all the things you've achieved, and things that have worked out, the things that haven't worked out, mm-hmm. the heartbreaks you've had? Right, you're playing the bluebird mm-hmm. many times over. Like, what would you say to the, to young Emily?
1: Absolutely. I have the blessed opportunity a lot to go back to Belmont, um, where I went to college and speak a lot to the people who are there. And so they've heard me say this a million times. Um, But I feel like every time I get to go back to college, it reminds me of where I was when I first moved to Nashville. And I remember being so terrified and feeling so unworthy of, you know, being here. I think that Nashville's a crazy town full of neon dreams. And a lot of people have a lot of people come and they posture and they're like, I'm the best. And everybody's the big fish from the small pond. You know, we all showed up and we were the one kid that wrote songs at our high school. And then all of a sudden we go to Belmont and all of us are songwriters and some of us are better than others. And I was definitely probably at the bottom of the pack as far as talent was concerned. I felt like everybody was better and more confident than me. And so I kind of Took two years off from writing altogether. I was so terrified. Um, I had to come to Jesus with my parents my sophomore year of college. My dad said, Emily, why are we paying all of this tuition for you to be in a sorority and not, and be an RA and not even write songs? And I was like, that's a pretty good point. And kind of in my own way, kind of, I had a professor tell me that I had what it took. And if it weren't for him, I probably wouldn't be here doing it. But I think knowing that I had a specific gift to offer is something that I would remind myself over and over again because I let insecurity and fear drive a lot of my decision-making. And I think I still do that from time to time, but I've shown up for myself and done a lot of work on myself and realized that I do have gifts to bring to the table. And there's something that I have with that type A personality and the you know facilitating things and seeing people's talent for what it is. I'm a good connector of people. I think there's a lot of gifts that I have that other songwriters don't. And so we're all just trying to put our own unique fingerprint on the music industry and on, you know, the people that we're around every day, whether you're a songwriter or a professional in any industry. It's like bring your best and bring your own unique superpowers to whatever you do. Um, And so I'm just trying to show up and be my best, treat people with kindness and not let that insecurity drive the boat. And so I'm excited to see what this next chapter looks like for me and for you mm-hmm. um, and continuing to pursue that joy and just a fulfilling life.
0: Yeah. Well, let me also say kindred spirits here. I was an RA as well.
1: <laughs> you were. Yeah. I loved it. It was really a hard job. It I had was- a lot of freshman girls crying on my floor, missing their mom and fighting with their roommate. And it was like, it was a very draining, but really like refining experience that I'm
0: grateful for. I totally agree. It was, it was, um, I didn't quite find myself in college until I became an RA. Because as I mentioned, one of six kids, I've always taken care of other people. I show up at college and they're like, you got to take care of me, myself and I, that's it. I didn't know how to do that, Emily. I was like, uh, "Yeah." I like, and then I became an RA and I was taking care of a hundred people and I thrived. And I will, I will leave you with this thought. One thing I always, read, is that years later, people forget the names of their professors, they forget the names of some of their friends, they will never forget the name of their RA. Oh. Did you know that?
1: That's, I did not know that, and I love that.
0: And I've seen it, I've been in airports, I've been in towns, I've been in other places, and people will yell my name from afar, and they were a resident of mine. Oh. Like.
1: What a gift is that? It
0: is. So, I wanted you to know that someday, be it your name is up in lights, or you're just going through an airport, somebody's going to yell, Emily, and they're going to be a resident of yours. So that's,
1: that's so cool. Yeah. I love that story.
0: Yeah. So thank you so much for this time. I'm telling you, I was looking forward to this all week, and you've inspired me to keep writing, to Yay. keep sharing. Good. Uh, I've got, I, I've started two books that I'm writing. I've got oh. song books of songs going back to forever, but you know, they're, they're away in closets and journals and things. And it's never too late. So, it never
1: is. Uh, yeah. my, I I will leave you with this and then we can go. But yeah. I, um, I was very fortunate my freshman year um, at Belmont, they always do this event where they have the Songwriter Hall of Fame inductees come and speak to the Belmont students. And... The year that I was a freshman, 2014, Tom Douglas got inducted. He wrote um, The House That Built Me and all these really incredible songs. And he moved to Nashville in his 20s. He was actually roommates with the chair of the songwriting program, James Elliott, at Belmont. And they were living in their cheap apartment, both trying to make it as songwriters. And Tom Douglas says he couldn't get arrested and failed and lived in Nashville for all of his 20s and didn't have any success and moved away to Dallas, Texas, built this whole real estate empire, started a family, did this whole thing, and then got his first cut at 40. Wow. And then moved back to Nashville because he had this whole crazy journey. And now in his 60s, he's in the Songwriting Hall of Fame and has a documentary on, you know, Paramount Plus about his story and just like, I don't ever think it's too late. I think that a creative endeavor we're all just living our lives and telling our stories and our timelines are all kind of interweaving and some people have a lot of success at 23 and then they're never heard from again it's just kind of you never know what your story is going to be I'm trying to build something sustainable so I can stick around for a while Um, but I say that to say on your creative journey it is never too late and I think as long as you're telling stories that are authentic and it's something that gives life to you it'll always be something that is a well that keeps on you know giving. So I'm thank happy you. for you and grateful for your time.
0: Thank you so much. Enjoy your signing your new awesome publishing contract. Enjoy the Bluebird tonight. If I were there, I'd raise a glass or buy a round <laughs> or something. Um, yes. And as Casey Musgrave reminds us, we're all a little bit star seated. So thank you so much for joining. And I really appreciate you infusing me with joy and hope and inspiration to keep going.
1: Oh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks,
0: Thanks. Bye.
1: Thanks so much.